thank you for a huge year on the Words and Nerds podcast. In 2021, the podcast had more than 250 conversations with authors, publishers, agents, booksellers, podcasters, and other amazing bookish people in approximately 200 episodes. There are three spin-offs, Ben Hobson's Burgers, Beers and Books, Josie Layton's A Different Page, and Nathan J. Phillips's The Regular Takeover. We had 22 takeover guests and growing, a summer series takeover, a NaNoWriMo series, crossovers, and the incredibly popular Publishing Insider series. The podcast appeared at literary festivals. We hosted live streams at bookshops for book launches, including the much-loved Four Continents for Critics. The holiday series is all about This holiday series is all about you, the listeners. Enjoy the most listened to episodes of 2021 to get you through the holiday period. Stay safe and read more books. Danny, Danny, thank you so much for having me back. And it's a joy to be back. And I believe you put a spell, a good spell, uh, on the journey of Boy Swallows Universe about two years ago. And um, I've never, ever forgotten... Uh, how kind and generous you were to have me on early on um, when Trent Dalton and the world of uh, literary fiction went, were pretty strange to each other and uh, I was very touched that you took the time of day and I'm, and it's so cool that you took the time of day again. I feel like I'm part of the Words and Nerds family. You guys are so amazing and lovely and such a family of amazing literary lovers and creators and people who advocate. Oh, thanks so much for your questions engaging with the novel and for everything you're doing. I know the podcast is hugely, hugely loved, so um, you're a gem. I think it's awesome the work that you do. You know, we're out there in this pool of, of like how many writers there are in this country and we're all trying to get our book to the surface. Podcasts like this enable us to do that and also to talk about our craft Danny, you're a gift from heaven. I love that you're such a great supporter and advocate for not only kids' books, but adult novels too. I love your interviews across the board. Kudos to you, Danny, for for getting everyone to relax so much that they open up and tell you such interesting things for the benefit of your listeners. (laughs) Thanks, Yeah, well done. That's so true. Oh my gosh, I just told you all these things that I've never talked about before. (laughs) I can never edit that bit out. I can do this. And I was just so comfortable that I was like, (laughs) (laughs) it's a special knack. Who wouldn't want to celebrate this fabulous podcast? This weekend's Words and Nerds episodes are brought to you by Readings Books and Music, an independent bookseller with seven stores across Melbourne. You can go to readings.com.au to buy books online, check out our upcoming events, and for the lowdown on the winner of the 2021 Readings YA Prize, Future Girl by Asphyxia. We hope to see you again soon. Thank you for listening to the Words and Nerds podcast. On this podcast, we chat about books, the writing process, and how literature has the power to change the world. I'm your host, Danny V. Today, I welcome Clayton Zane Comba, author of 100 Remarkable Feats of Xander Mays. In 2017, Clayton opened Buchanist Bookstore Cafe Wine Bar, where he is the licensee, book curator, occasional DJ, and head dishwasher. Very impressive. <laughs> and your debut novel, Shooting Stars, was published by Odyssey Books in 2018. 11. Welcome, Clayton. How are you? 
I'm well, thanks, Danny. And thanks so much for having me as well. It's a pleasure to be on your podcast. It's one of the ones I actually get to listen to. So it's great. <laughs> it's actually cool because you were a listener and now you're an author on the podcast. Yeah, guess. absolutely. That's right. Exactly. But that's really cool. And I like I liked that when, you know, we spoke about you being on the podcast. I liked that because, um, you know, I thought that was pretty cool. Pretty cool transition. And, you know, great too. So we're going to talk about your book. Oh, can, you, can you start with it? Oh, amongst other things, may I warn you? <laughs> <laughs> <All good. laughs> can you give us an elevator pitch of um, your book 100 remarkable feats of xander Mays? yeah sure so xander is uh, about a 15 year old boy who is a list maker and when his grandmother who is his the number one person that he loves the most uh, tells him that writing a list of 100 remarkable feats and trying to achieve them will cure her cancer he believes her because she's also the number one person that uh, he trusts and so then he goes out and he attempts this list and it gets sort of uh, a lot of attention brought to the list because it gets shared online and some of that attention is unwanted and then some of it is actually he didn't know he needed such as friendship that sort of comes in the way of unlikely endeavours. It's such a clever idea and it really got me in the feels and I think it would have got most people in the feels because it makes you think about your grandparents. I mean, all my grandparents have passed away now, but it makes you think about, you know, them and what the thing with grandparents with me is you only ever know them when they've like done all these things and you only know them when they're, you know, in their sixties mm -hmm. or seventies or whatever. And you never really get a proper glimpse of who they were when they were younger. And that just makes me so nostalgic, you know, to ask them about more things. That's so true. Yeah. So tell me about why you wanted to write this story. So, I mean, you kind of hit the nail on the head there. Um, I, I was only sort of fortunate enough to know kind of one of my grandparents. I don't really remember um, my other three grandparents. They died when I was very young. Um, and so then there was my, my grandmother, um, who was my father's mother. And, she sort of moved in with us when our grandfather died and she lived with us from when we were little kids, my brother and I. And so she kind of raised us, you know, as, as you know, the third parent sort of thing. My, both my parents were migrants who worked full time. Um, and so she kind of was the one who just kind of looked after us. So, you know, she lived with us. She cooked our breakfast. She took us to school. She picked us up from school. Um, you know, she cooked our dinner. Like she did, she did everything. She's just incredible. incredible. This is one woman who just did everything. Um, and so when she turned 90, my partner Hannah and I decided to take her to Europe for the first time. She always wanted to go to Europe and we'd never been. So we just thought, you know what, we're just going to have an adventure. And so we actually didn't book like all of it or anything like that. And we kind of <laughs> went and it was just this incredible uh, six week adventure where we went all through Europe. Um, and, and we had a lot of our first together when we were over there uh, because obviously we were seeing it for the first time. And so that was kind of like the basis of the story that I wanted to write was kind of a story between a grandparent and grandchild and that special love that kind of exists between them. Um, and also a, a lot of a book that was a lot about first, so even though I wasn't a teenager at the time, just I thought it was a very pertinent uh, thing to write as a teenager who's experiencing a lot of first. Um, so that was kind of the first thing I wanted to write about. Um, and then the next thing that I sort of I knew the character was kind of someone who was sort of on the on the edge of the of the social scene. It was kind of a little bit ignored and also just a little bit sheltered because obviously being raised by his, his grandparent uh, or as the predominant person, 
he sort of he doesn't have things like streaming or anything like that. So you know, Xander doesn't have Netflix or anything like that. You've got Star Wars DVDs, and you know, Xander doesn't have Spotify. He's got Elvis and Linda Ronstadt's CDs that were his grandmother's. So he's kind of sheltered in a way. And um, and then I came across this this list in the paper, and it was one of those you know you get them every weekend. It's like you know top ten things to do in Sydney or, you know, top 15 restaurants in Kangaroo Valley or something like that. And I, um, I found this top 100 or t- remarkable things in the city or something like that. And some of it was very, very simple. It was just like, you know, watch the sunset over Bondi or, um, or you know, or go and see the harbour, the harbour bridge. And I just thought there's a lot of things that we just kind of overlook all the time. And it was just something I kind of wanted to focus on for this book, the things we overlook. Mm, I love that. I love that so much. I love so many things about that. And just when you were talking, I'm, I'm thinking about 25 questions that I want to ask you, which is what you said. <laughs> well, we've got till midnight, don't we? Yeah, so. we do. We do. I said, you know, half an hour to five hours. Every yeah, whatever, yeah. whatever, whatever floats, you know. I like it. <laughs> so let's go back to the trip to Europe. You took your 90-year-old grandmother. I love this story so much. I hope when I'm 90, someone's taking me overseas. Yeah. So tell me, where did you go? How was it? How did you all keep pace with each other? Tell me something amazing about this trip. It's extraordinary. Oh, my gosh. There was, there's so, I mean, you could write a book about this in itself. I sort of blogged it back then as well. Um, so we, we started out in London um, and, you know, she always wanted to see Buckingham Palace and everything. And it was this really funny moment because we spent, you know, a long time travelling with 30 hours or something in transit. And, you know, my Nana's memory now is not great. Uh, and so when we got there, she kind of, we said, all right, we're going to go to see Buckingham Palace now. And so we were all excited. And she sort of looked at me and said, not the real Buckingham Palace, you know. And we said, oh, God, we hope it's not the fake one after we've just travelled 30 hours to get <laughs> um, so we yeah, So we went to London. Um, after London, we caught the Eurostar over to Paris. We took it to the top of the Eiffel Tower. Wow. And we had champagne on the top of the Eiffel Tower. Um, from there, Amazing. we went to the south of France. Uh, we did about, I think it was about a, a uh, 10-day trip through Italy, like through Venice. And um, there were just moments that would sort of catch her out where she would sort of, you know, see the Leaning Tower of Pisa and sort of like remember where she was. And everywhere you went, there were always people that just sort of fussed over her. Like even when we were staying at a hotel and the chef, this Italian chef sort of fell in love with her and was coming out and kissing her like, you yeah. know, like she was there. Like just so many incredible moments that, uh, that happened when we were yeah, in your, it, was, uh, it was incredibly tough at times too when you say like trying to keep up with each other. Yeah. Um, you know, there was one night when she got quite sick and uh, my partner Hannah and I we were running around Milan trying to find a um, an all-night doctor that, you know, would come and see someone with no health insurance or anything like that as well. So there were uh, a lot of moments that were um, sort of life-changing moments along that trip. Wow, it does sound extraordinary. And what an experience and memory you've got forever. You know, that's amazing. It was, yeah, it really was. It was uh, a trip of a lifetime, you know. Mm, absolutely. I often find the relationship between a grandparent and a grandchild just a really special relationship. It's different between the parent and child. You know, sometimes the parent has to do all the boring things, you know, like brush your teeth, absolutely, eat vegetables kind of thing. Grandparents are scot-free on that. They get to do yeah. all the, the fun things. So I find that, you know, the relationship between grandparent and grandchild can be a really special one usually it's you know not long enough sometimes but mm-hmm. it's very special do you, obviously you find that as well absolutely I think a lot of the time also that um people kind of think that within that generational gap there's a disconnect between um the generations and whereas I think that people find that the connection is a lot stronger than they actually think um 
I think that's like a very powerful, and that's what you're saying, that that, that love that exists between a grandparent and uh, a grandchild is different. Yeah. Um, and I think that that's the thing. I think, you know, while some people think it's separating, it's actually quite, uh, you know, uniting. Mm, absolutely. I see my kids, you know, with their grandparents and it's an extraordinary relationship and you kind of just stand back and go, wow, this is, you know, this is really, really special. So I love that. Yeah, and if definitely. anyone has had been able to have time with their grandparents, you know, it's a really special thing. So it, I think yeah, that's amazing. That it can be fleeting and that's the, mm. um, yeah, that's the, those kind of, you know, feral beauty of it. Like that's the thing. Mm. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. Now, I loved the list of 100 feeds and it made me think about, you know, what I would have on my 100. I think I'm going to do the 100. It's stressing oh. me out a bit, though, because it feels like, you know, you have to do these things. <laughs> but um, when you were writing it, were you thinking, what does Clay, what does Clay need on his 100 feats? Did you have a, a list in your head going on? Sort of. I, I sort of did. I, I, I kind of did what Xander does in the novel, which is, you know, obviously is to research, which is to Google, um, <clears throat> the, you know, all these teenage sort of bucket lists and, and remarkable lists. Like I went through a lot of them and I also was, uh, I was just asking people um, just sort of constantly, you know, if you had a list of 10 things, asking teenagers, you know, what they kind of wanted to achieve by the end of the school year. Um, and then obviously some of it, you know, became from, from my own life and, um, and the list did evolve over time. It never stayed exactly the same. Um, and so it did change as we went along and also for narrative reasons, you know, to get the, the right plot points and the right moments. But, yep. yeah, that's kind of how the list came about. It was, it was a bit of a tricky one. Mm, I love that. When you were doing your research and asking teenagers or young people, you know, what was on their list, were there surprises? Uh, there, there wasn't, no. Uh, I, I didn't. That's nothing, a surprise in yeah, like not, I mean, they're probably just not telling me, you know, that's the thing. Like, um, <laughs> Uh, yeah, no, there was nothing that really jumped out anywhere, you know, that, um, you know, it's some, some of the funny ones, you know, I mean, not funny ones, but, you know, were people saying things like, oh, like I want to, you know, like if someone would say, you know, I, I want to drink a beer or something, that was they made it in. But someone said something, I think once to something like, oh, get arrested for a night or something. Oh. Like, okay, that's, uh, you know, that's a bit of a serious one. Going I'm out. <laughs> yeah, exactly. That's right. Let's just let's just put the brakes on there. You know, yeah. like, only also, it was only to go for one night, you know, so it was, it was a very clear clarification. Not too like, serious. No, no, that's right. And and I think in a way that kind of, you know, maybe I think it, one of his feats was to, to break a very small law, you know, that was a, a, a small law. That's a, you know, a, a, that's yeah. very funny. Yeah, exactly. That, that actually managed to stay in the, in the novel. I don't think I'd want a night overnight in a little prison. No, me hell. neither. No, I wouldn't either. Cold and scary and I'd be hungry. Yeah, absolutely. <laughs> That's right. I'd, I'd be terrified. <laughs> it's definitely not going to be on my list. No, maybe, maybe, uh, maybe on the list would be not get arrested. Yeah, exactly. That's <laughs> right. Yeah, that's right. Just cross that one off now. Yeah. That's so funny. And I love that because it is kind of a bucket list, but it's, it's a, a you know, it's obviously for a young person, so it's, it's different. And I think it's cool because it really made his character evolve and feel, you know, think of all the things that he wanted to achieve. And I guess it makes you brave having a list when you write it down. And then when it's shared online, I guess it gives you some accountability that you have to do some of that list. Yeah, that's right. That was And that was the driving force because I, I always thought that if Xander just had the list and he just had to go out and do it, he's the kind of character who would probably, you know, I mean, even with his love for his, his nana, that he would put it off. Um, and so it had to be that that list had had gotten out of hand for him. Um, and that's why, you know, early on it gets shared online. So we've got this kind of, you know, 
dramatic irony in a sense where you know like like everyone knows what is going on and um, and the reader knows what's going on and Xander's obviously trying to catch up the entire time <laughs> yeah. I love that and what was the character development for for Xander how did you go about developing his character because he was a very unique and interesting character Yes, I mean Xander. For me, he just always began as as somebody um, you know who was on on the outside of the social scene. I knew he was someone who he didn't have any friends. He he didn't have the the kinds of uh, relationships that people. Well, I mean, m- most kind of kids grow up with. Um, you know, he, he'd grown up very differently, and he struggled a lot. He struggled, you know, in a sense with um, with anxiety, and he struggles um, just just socially and. His his list making is what helps him kind of make sense of of the world and everything. And he's in a way there there are parallels to to. I mean, I I, I I'm not quite like Xander, but I'm someone who who makes lists. I make lists all the time, <laughs> uh, and and that was and, and and usually very trivial lists. I never make lists about things that are important. I never <laughs> think like it's always really kind of meaningless stuff. And and that was part of it when it was my partner Hannah who kind of said to me. Why, why do you feel this need to list things? You know, like, why do you have to have the top five Dolly Parton songs? You know, and why I, do you have to have that? Yeah, top and I was like, because you have to, because that, you know, that then it prioritizes your time as to how much you love something. I like um, it. Yeah. So what, exactly. what are the top five Dolly Parton songs? Oh, well, I mean, I Will Always Love You has got to be up yeah, there, number yeah. one. All right, yeah, I'll agree with that. Exactly, yeah, it's, it's got to be number one. Mm-hmm. Um, I'm kind of shut myself in, in the in the foot with the rest of it. <laughs> yeah, it's right. like, All we need is number one. That's yeah, fine. because I think, you know, we need to think about it. Like we can't just jump in and just Agreed, agreed. This is very interesting, Claire. What other lists have you got going? Oh, I've got lists going all the time. Like all, all right. the time. Even, even when we were doing this at the book launches, um, we – we actually just went through like favorite this, favorite that, just constantly like just off the top of your head to try and list things. Yeah, it's fabulous. Can, can you it. do it? So if I said to you like favorite book, can uh, favorite book? Oh, favorite book. Um, one of my favorite books, uh, Picture of Dorian Gray, Oscar Wilde. Oh, wonderful, wonderful book. Favorite yeah. movie. Favorite movie. Oh, one of them would be Fight Club. Oh, excellent. Favorite song. Oh, this is really hard. This is really stressing me out. Favorite song, Sway Big Runga. Um, top five Dolly Parton songs. Um, I will always love you, and then I'll have to stop. <laughs> Good answer. <laughs> oh, well yeah. That was very stressful. I felt like I was on a game show. Yeah, well, I, I just turned it around on you anyway, there. So that that was. <laughs> that was great. I love. Yeah, that. so Xander's character just kind of evolved that way. That you know, he was someone who made lists, and was someone also who loves um, etymologies and similes and metaphors. As Xander, you know, um, lists those things as well. So there are those sorts of things. And then he just sort of grew as he needed to that, you know, he was sort of slowly making his way into these different circles of friends as kind of, it, it kind of happens in, well, it happened to me in high school. And that's yeah. kind of what happens, you know, that you get some people in Xander's case who were sort of bullying him at the start, but then you get these other characters who are just very genuine. And um, in a sense, like the older ones, uh, are like they sort of take Xander under, under their wing. And then of course you've got Lily who's, who is, <clears throat> the first character that I saw in the novel other than Xander. And it was somebody who was also struggling with her own demons, but was someone who just sat down one day at a table and pulled out the list with scribblings all over it and said, this is how we're going to do it. And he looks and says, who are you? You know, that was, <laughs> that was always the, the starting. And sometimes you need that person to give you that driving push, you know, because sometimes you don't know. How, where do you start with a list of 100 things? Like, where do you start? Do you just That's start right, number, yeah. Yeah, Xander, he one? just... 
He just needed a little help to get started. That was <laughs> that's right. That's right. And you've had some amazing book launches and book events. Um, Kayama, there was one in Sydney. You had Marcus Suzak there. Tell me, tell me about this. And how do you know Marcus? Okay. Yeah, we did. We had some amazing um, book launches. The kind of community is so incredibly supportive. I mean, obviously, I've grown up in this town. Uh, my family's had a lot to, to do in the town in, in terms of the community. And obviously, we run our bookstore and cafe in the town as well. Um, so it was really wonderful to have this beautiful book launch. Like when we could, that was the other thing. Is I mean, yeah. if it happened now, we wouldn't be able to do it. Um, and you know, we got to have these incredible nights, both Kymer and Sydney. And yeah, and Marcus um, came down for both of them and sort of facilitated both of those book launches. Um, so Marcus and I are friends from a long time ago, uh, probably. It'd probably be going back about 13 years now. It was a- around the time just after when The Book Thief came out, which is um, very, very high, I'd say. I- I- I'd go so far to say, you know, it- it's my number one of contemporary books. Mm. Oh, it's an incredible book. Oh, absolutely. Absolutely. So no I met Mark just as a fan um, at a writer's festival and I, I sort of told him about my writing and he, he was coming to town and then we, we just sort of became friends. Um, and he's just this incredible person who, I mean, people, most people just know him from his writing, but he's just an incredible person. And he just sort of always uh, kept encouraging me to write. So he would always just check in. He'd always send me emails and things like that, like just to make sure that I was writing, that I was finishing um, along the way. Um, and so that's why also like he's mentioned in the book and in the book, the book thieves in it as well. And it all sort of ties in. It's just kind of like a, a, my kind of thank you note as well. And then he was just so incredibly generous to come and do the two launches with me as well. Mm, I love and it was him so that did that, um, that did that, um, quiz, uh, that we just did before <laughs> that. It, it was him. who just started asking questions like while we were up on stage. Uh, in front of like 300 people <laughs> like all right here we go yeah <laughs> that's wonderful I love that and I love how a friendships can be created through the writing because we all know writing and you, know, you put yourself on the page and you, know, you talk about things that often you know some things are very personal and you know it really helps when you have someone who is a writer to help and encourage you and believe in yourself because it's one of those things that you do where sometimes you think I can never do this I can never be good enough I can never you know do this to any sort of level and it's nice to have those people around you encouraging and saying yeah you can keep going look absolutely i mean for me uh, and this is also goes back to the the um evolving character of xander so um because xander took me a long time to write it, it took me five years to get it right it was sort of this house of cards that i would stack up and then you know when you change something because it's like a puzzle it sort of just all cascades down um and uh, along that period i, I lost my father um, who was like my best friend. Um, and so the book is dedicated to him. Um, and a lot of the, the memories sort of that are in the book are sort of our memories, um, including the listening to Linda Ronstadt, which is why it's so important that Linda Ronstadt was in, it was in the novel. And it was when I was sort of in my darkest periods of, of sort of grief that Marcus sort of popped up again and um, he sort of said, come on, like he, he, took, he actually took the book um, and he sort of like, you know, read over it and sort of said, you know, this is like, this is what I think, this is, you know, this is, you know, like what I think you need to, to, to do now. Um, and at the time I wasn't sleeping. Um, and so when I, when I, when I got his, his, his kind of notes uh, as well and, and his encouragement, 
I sort of just got out of bed. And so that final edit was done sort of between those hours, those stupid hours, of like three o'clock and five o'clock in the morning. Mm. And that was the final edit of the novel. Um, and so that's why he's just a special person as well. I remember when I finished it, him just ringing me up and just playing Linda Ronstadt into the phone. <laughs> At one stage, uh, I claim he was singing. He claimed he wasn't singing. <laughs> Let's claim he was. Let's claim he was singing. Yeah, yeah, <laughs> exactly. And and that was really the moment when I knew and I thought, I've given everything I can to this to this book now. Like if that house of cards isn't built now, it's not it's not going to build. Mm. Like it's gonna it's not gonna work. And, and thankfully, thankfully, it did work. You know what? There's something to be said though for a couple of things for writing through that grief. And also those hours of the day, which I've read a number of times, at that three o'clock period of time in the morning is that really interesting time for creatives. And I almost think, and I, I, I did when I read this book, that there's a difference between writing a book, you know, technically or whatever, and there's a difference when you can read a book when your heart and soul's on the page. And I kind of felt that when I read your book. And so it was really nice when you said that about the grief that you wrote through and writing at those really creative but strange times from three to five when you're alone and you're with your thoughts and you know it's a, it's a scary time I'm a bit of an insomniac so I, I know yeah, yeah. <laughs> I know about these hours yeah yeah, yeah. yeah. <laughs> so it's interesting that you say that because I think from the very first page and I, I you know I was going to ask you about your dedication that you just really felt wow there's there's heart and soul on these pages yeah thanks Danny that uh, that really means the world and um when people talk about uh, the novel when I get you know, comments about the novel and, and if they ever mention the heart in the in the book or anything like that like that's like it really is a book that means the world to me um, mm. and you can tell you can tell just from reading it you know and I don't know because I had grandparents I was very close to um, you know they've both passed away now and there's so many things that I wished I'd asked them yeah you know, and that's hard. It's hard to then read another story about another grandparent because you think, oh, I can't, that, that's, that boat has sailed. You know? Yeah, absolutely. I thought the same way, you know. It's, um, it's a book and, and it's also, uh, I mean, the whole thing about just not accepting the unacceptable and, you know, and I, I think that's, it's, it's a very, it, it's a very universal thing, I think, you know, especially when people are given time. You know, that's the thing when people are given time and you you're, you have to accept it because, you know, that's at a point where they say there is nothing more that you can do. Um, and this is in Xander's case, you know, when they tell Xander that and he thinks, no, I can't accept that. You know, that's why, you know, people ask him to dig down. Perhaps Xander does know and is in self-denial that his list cannot cure cancer. You know, um, and we know as the audience that that's not the point, but does Xander know it? That's the question. And perhaps he does, but he just he just won't accept that. Just like, you know, I, you know, and everyone else, you know, believes that, you know, we try and grasp onto any sort of hope that we can um, in those moments. Absolutely. I was going to say that human beings, I think they're built with hope, even if, you know, it is unlikely we still have hope. And that's, I guess, how you wake up every day. <laughs> exactly right. That's why, how we exist, isn't it? That's right. Because mm. if we don't, you know, what, you know, what kind of we're here for? Let's, mm. uh, now, I know your character had a pretty severe panic attack. I'm familiar with these myself. Um, now I'm wondering, a really difficult period of time that you were going through, was this part of your experience? Did you have to research panic attacks? Because they're a hard thing to explain and write, I think. And, you know, reading it, I could relate. <laughs> I talk about my anxiety a lot on the podcast and it actually, you know, frees me a bit from it sometimes. Oh, yeah, absolutely. Um, um, but I think was that from a real coming from a real place with you? Yeah, look, um I I I obviously like I did do some research uh and so forth into other people's experiences. Um 
particularly, you know, dealing dealing with grief. That was for me. That was it. It was it was. I was trying to, to deal with grief and not dealing very well. Yeah. And you know, and I was, um, you know, looking, well, looking for help. You know, and, and I was looking for help. And writing for me was one of the things that helped. And so um, while I didn't sort of, I mean, I don't necessarily think I've ever had a panic attack. Um, I think. The, the you know the, the signs were the same you know that's, and um, and the, the the sort of places that I were in were were the same um, or I mean I I'd speak universally but that's not the truth for every person's individual but um, in just in terms of you know that um, that dark position and that's kind of just how I felt and I was trying to translate that into a page that the reader would understand as well. I find as a culture, though, we, we're not very good with grief and we're not very good when we lose people and we don't know how to deal with it because, because we're optimistic, we never speak about it until it happens and then we don't know how to deal with it. Absolutely. And I, I think, you know, we, we're always just dealing with it. So some, something that somebody sort of said to me is just you just have to learn to live with it, in, 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 to think of it running parallel to you and you just kind of try not to let it take over you. Mm. And I just thought that was such a pertinent thing to say. And, um, and um, yeah, and so I, I think that that kind of just helped me to, to make sense of it a little bit yeah. more. It's always going to be there. It's always going to be part yes. of our life. Um, but just what we do with it is, is the question. That's absolutely. That's exactly what I do with my anxiety. It sits beside me every day. I've forgotten. I've, you know, given up on a cure because that's not going to happen. But it's beside you. But it's it's how, I guess, bright you let it shine, you know. <laughs> and sometimes it shines pretty brightly, can I tell you? <laughs> you know, you've got to then, you know, have these strategies kind of dim that light again. So it's an interesting thing, that parallel thing, because I see that as well. Absolutely. That's right. Yeah. Yeah, what a deep thing for us to sit here and just sit here. You know, <laughs> can't believe you're surprised. You said on a Tuesday evening, you know. So, yeah. You said you've listened to this podcast. You shouldn't be surprised that we've no, gone. Say, Let's go anywhere you want. So, yeah. <laughs> you say, I say never sit next to me at a wedding because I, <laughs> I won't ask what you do. I'll be like, tell me your dark secrets. Oh, I'll sit next to you, Daddy. Yeah. <laughs> We'll swap meals. Sounds good. We'll share yeah. the, the share the good dessert. Yeah, that's right. Exactly. That's right. <laughs> now, I want to hit that writing process. Are you one of those people who just pants it and throws it on the page and edits later, or are you really purposeful about what you put on the page from the start? So, yeah, look, I'm I'm someone who, who thinks about writing a lot more than I write. Um, <laughs> I love that. Yeah. So, uh, uh, I'm I'm someone who like I I'll come up with an idea. And I'll live with that idea and let that idea sort of grow. Um, and I'm, I kind of believe, you know, that if, if the idea is strong enough, you'll never forget. You'll never forget all the bits and pieces. And this is someone with a memory of a fish as well. Um, <laughs> you know, you, you, you'll never forget the important things that you want to include in a story. And then there might come a moment when you just know that it's, it's kind of there. Like, you know, that idea might be 70% of the way there. Um, you know, so for example, Xander, you know, it was, a, a boy who's doing something for his his grandmother. Um, he he struggles socially. He writes lists. Um, you know he's got this friend who um, sort of just forces her way into his life. Um, and for me, in the sense of Xander, it was Andy that was the final piece that sort of unlocked it. Who's the older girl in the story? Um, and then I started putting words on page. And that's kind of my process uh, when I write. And then I'll find the rest of it. Um, you know, when I'm writing. But say, for example, with Xander, I wrote the first draft in two weeks wow. and, and I thought it was right. That's the word. <laughs> well, at least kind of close to being right. And five years later, I realised that, you know, uh, I was wrong. But um, 
So that's kind of my process. I can write in bursts and get a story like kind of out um, and I can edit and like, you know, and then if you sit me down and say, you know, you've got to edit, I'll edit that, you know, that story between three and five in the morning when someone said, this is what I think, you know, you should look at. Or if I think, oh, that's what I've got to look at, I can do that and I'll write and I'll make sure it's done. Um, and so, and, and it will be finished, you know, that's the thing. But so my writing process is probably a bit different. So I don't, I'm not someone who sits down and goes, I'm going to hit this many words a day. I'm going to write for this amount of time per day. You know, I'll, um, I'll sit there and I'll skew on a story and I'll say, all right, like, I think it's kind of 70% there. Let's find the rest of it. Mm, um, I love in, that. Yeah. And insomniacs unite. So, you know, if I'm ever doing my usual three to five thing, I'll know you'll be doing it as well. <laughs> yeah, just ring me up. Anytime you want anything at three o'clock in the morning or anything, I just give you a call. We'll yeah. swap some stories. Absolutely. Um, edit yeah. each other's work. It'll be great. Yeah. Absolutely. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That's right. Yeah. I love finding other insomniacs. Yeah, well, yeah, there you go. But, yeah, You're very on the moon at 3 a.m. in the morning. Yeah, no, no, no problem, Danny. Let's go, you know. We'll so, have a few more out there who will start messaging as well in those hours. We could. We could, have like, we could have like a live Twilight podcast. In yeah, it sounds good. Amazing to have like a Twilight Insomniacs podcast. And we'll just, we'll just quiz people on their favourite yeah. things, you know what I mean? Just yeah. riff, whatever comes at 3am, just talk. You know, yeah. I'm not even joking, Clay. You think I'm joking? I'm not even joking. I'm in, Danny. If I could be like a, like a you know, like a co-host or something like that, I'm, I'm completely Absolutely. In. I've never done an interview at 3am, so this is going to be great. I'm, yeah, I'm your guy, I'll tell you that. <laughs> <laughs> Let's see if we can get people who yeah, are yeah. Insomniacs, though, to get up and do it. That'd be even That's fun. right. This so like, we wake up at three o'clock because that's the time we've scheduled this in for and we're just Clay, like at it. My yeah. mind is exploding now. <laughs> <laughs> now, since you are a listener, uh, you know this question's coming. Why do you write, Clay? Okay. E- even knowing a question like this is coming, it doesn't, I don't think that makes it any easier. It <laughs> makes it harder. <laughs> Look, I, uh, I think as we've sort of uh, spoken about, I'm someone who I wear my heart on my sleeve. Um, and I think that I, I write to kind of make sense, um, make sense of my thoughts and, and make sense of how I'm feeling. Um, I've, I've always done that, you know, even, um, you know, even from when I was, when I was young and then it was just somewhere along the line when I thought, you know, this is, if I could do this you know, as some kind of profession, I, I would really love to do that. And it's also, there's something, I mean, it's, it's so, you know, generic to say or whatever, but there's something just so beautiful about a book. That's the thing um, as a medium for telling stories. But I think a, a book, you know, a story exists between the book and someone's mind and it's different for every person. So for me, what Xander and Lily and Andy, they look like in my head, it looks completely different in your head and completely different in someone else's that, that movie that's playing out in your mind. And I'll never see that. Um, and we'll never know what it looks like to someone else, but yet we might both universally love something like the book thief. Um, and we've, you know, there's, 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 17 million versions of it out there you know in people's minds um and i think that that's there's something very beautiful about that and that's why i write mm, that is a lovely answer and of course you're a bookseller too so you you'd love the books absolutely <laughs> right, yeah. Physical books forever yeah me too i agree look I've, I've got the kindle and look probably wasn't the best you know investment i've ever spent <laughs> <laughs> Because I do love the physical book, I've got to say. Yeah. Um, I'm going to come and visit you when we're not in lockdown. I'm oh, going to come to your bookshop. It's not Don't that. come at 3 o'clock. We'll be closed. Oh, okay. So, yeah, All right. But you, come, you come and find me, though, at 3 o'clock. <laughs> I'll, I'll be around somewhere. I'll come at a reasonable, normal time. <laughs> yeah. 
Absolutely. <laughs> I haven't been to that bookshop before and Clamo is not too far from where I live in Sydney. So I'm going to come and visit and uh, we'll have a hot chocolate and we'll have a, another deep chat, I think. Why not? Well, I look forward to it. I think that would be wonderful. <laughs> Let's hope we get out of lockdown soon. Yeah, thank yeah. you so much, Clay. That was just a remarkable book and an even more remarkable chat. So thank you for uh, being so candid and honest in this interview because, you know, I put you on the spot there a few times. That's all right. I did it to you too. Yeah, you <laughs> did. Thanks so much for having me. It, it is a pleasure. And I think what you do with this podcast is wonderful. Whenever somebody asks me about writing or, or anything like that, uh, I always tell them to listen to this. I said this would have been invaluable to me when I was really trying to, you know, to be, to be a writer as well. Well, that's so kind. Thank you so much, Clay. No worries. Thanks, Danny.